You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. We can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Today I'll be recording Dean Winchester, Disney Princess, part eight of the Carnival Oasis series, written by Violu. The rating for this fic is explicit. Pertinent tags for this fic include anal sex, voyeurism sort of, tulips, pervert raccoons, alternate universe. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Dean Winchester, Disney Princess. Part 8 of the Carnival Oasis series, written by Violu. Read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein. Summary. Repairs to the house are slow going, but at least Dean is making new friends. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Dean always thought of himself as in shape. He doesn't hit the gym or go on semi-daily runs like Sam. But hunting can burn quite a lot of calories, with the digging graves and the fleeing from monsters and the wandering in the woods in search of whatever beast he's hunting that week. So yeah, Dean thought of himself as in shape. The walk to the new house dragged that notion to the woodshed, and three hours of hacking at brambles with his machete shot that notion to death. He lies on the forest floor, sweating, dirty, and cursing himself for ever leaving Sam's basement. Dirt and pine needles are clinging to every part of him, and he's cold but overheated at the same time. Do you have any other secret houses? Dean says loudly. Maybe one's closer and less in need of upkeep? Castiel kneels next to Dean, smiling. He's still in some clothes he borrowed from Dean which should make him look more ordinary, but of course it doesn't. I have a few other homes. They're all older than this one, and considerably farther away from California. Dean props himself up on his elbows. Now that he's not moving around, the chill in the air is starting to settle on him. Really? Where? Other forests. Alaska, Ireland, Brazil, Australia. Castiel gets a distant look on his face. Goodness, the house in Ireland must be 400 years old by now. 
I doubt that one is still there. You've really been around, huh? I have. Well, those places all do sound far. They are. And we are already here. This is the most advanced of all my homes. Truly our best option, I assure you. But I'm tired, and this is hard. Dean whines, flopping back onto the ground. It is, my poor, fragile human. Castiel's gentle smile has shifted into something more amused. Dick, maybe I'll just stay here and let you do all the work. Look at you, you're not even sweating. Sure I am, Castiel says, gesturing to the laughably thin beads of sweat along his hairline. Obnoxious celestial stamina. I think I hate you. My arms are getting a bit tired, too. Oh, they're getting a bit tired, huh? I'm coated in sweat and my muscles have stopped cooperating with me at all. You could confess. I'll heal us both. Dean recoils. Or he would if he felt like moving. No way, I earned this. You earned it. I worked hard for this exhaustion. Castiel's eyes squint in confusion. God, he's adorable. So, you don't want to be sore, but you don't want me to make it go away? Yeah. It's a point of pride? Yeah, that. Odd. Well, you must have gotten tired out building this yourself way back when. Didn't it leave you with that happy, achy feeling of a job well done? Castiel closes his eyes as he often does when he's trying to paw through eons of memories. I recall being sore and tired as there were no sins to feed on to rejuvenate me. And I recall pride in the work I'd done. However, I don't recall the soreness and the pride being linked. Maybe it's a human thing. Perhaps it is a Dean Winchester thing. Maybe both. Dean remains sprawled on the ground as Castiel resumes slashing through a fairly ridiculous amount of weeds and brambles. Seriously, this place looks like it was put under a witch's curse. But like a fairy tale witch. Dean hasn't even been in the house yet. Not that he's in a rush, but he is curious. Castiel hasn't made a move to open the dusty and weathered oak door, though, so Dean hasn't either. It's so messy and dead out here, but Dean can already see the potential. The damp, pine-needle-covered clearing around the house replaced with a lush green lawn full of tulips. The beige, beaten porch repaired and painted. The simple front door varnished. Cracked and filthy windows replaced. Dean closes his eyes, smiling. It's going to be a beautiful nest. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. Dean wakes stiff, chilled, and cuddling a wild rabbit. Okay, this is new. The rabbit wakes as Dean stirs, and for a moment they stare at each other before it wriggles out of his arms to hop a few feet away. It looks at Dean for a few more moments, and then bounds off into the forest. What? The light is softer, dimmer, so it's got to be late afternoon. It's quiet, save for the sound of some fabric shifting. When Dean turns his head to the side, he sees Castiel as putting up the tent they brought. 
It's fairly small, a one-person tent that Jess hadn't used in years. I take it we're not bedding down in the house tonight. Castiel pauses before pushing a tent stake into the ground. It's haunted. Dean scrambles to his feet. What? My house. It's haunted. Was it before? Of course not, Castiel says. He's finished setting up the tent and is now digging through his comically large hiking pack. I apologize for not noticing sooner. The spirit was all but inactive until I opened the front door. Dean glances at the house. Someone died all the way out here? I found human remains in the living room. I thought we'd deal with it after a rest. Castiel pulls a bag of rock salt out of his pack and begins making a circle around the tent. The corpse has been there well over a decade, maybe even two. He sighs. I would understand if this sullies the home for you. Nah. Castiel looks a little surprised. Nah. I'm attached. It might take a little longer to make this place home, but it'll be worth it. I know it. I've got time. A single red tulip grows between them. Castiel is beaming. You're sure? Dean shrugs, grinning. I'm a hunter, Cass. Can't think of a more fitting way to christen a new home than cleanse it of a spirit. Necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean, this time Dean wakes warm, slowly, as he often does in Castiel's immediate presence. Castiel and his wings are wrapped around him from behind. It's impressive how much they've managed to cram into this tent. Dean gives one wing several hard flicks with his finger until the wings in Castiel's arms release him. Don't urinate near the tent, Castiel mutters. I've got manners, Cass, Dean says, unzipping the tent. He crawls through the small doorway and finds himself staring slack-jawed. Outside of the ring of salt, there are animals. Quite a few, in fact. A couple of deer, four raccoons, three rabbits, and a whole mess of mice. Some are asleep. Some are watching him. What the fuck? Castiel crawls out of the tent, sands wings. Quite a crowd, he mutters sleepily. What the hell is this? Animals like me happen sometimes, especially in secluded areas like this. Is that why I woke up cuddling a fucking rabbit earlier? I took a photo with your phone. I'm gonna get fucking rabies out here, aren't I? Castiel regards the animals for a moment. They are safe. Yeah, okay, Dr. Doolittle. We'll tell your pals not to follow me if they don't want to get pissed on. Charming. One of the raccoons does in fact follow Dean, but he decides to be gracious and not pee on it. I mean the bare necessities. That's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Their first task of the day is to build a pyre for the corpse in Castiel's living room. Dean clears away dry brush and uses water from a nearby stream to get the ground damp and less flammable. They're supposed to have electricity and running water up here at the house, through a process that sounded an awful lot like witchcraft, but apparently some things in the system needed repairing first. They needed new pipes or chicken feed or a virgin sacrifice. 
Dean wasn't really listening because a fox was flapping its tail at him, but Castiel said all that can wait. It's real fucking weird having the various denizens of the forest around. They don't help clean or any shit like that. Apparently Dean's life hasn't gone full Disney, but they hang out. They watch. They walk over and bump up against Dean and Castiel seemingly for kicks. Dean keeps expecting them to flip out and run away or maybe bite him, but they don't. They're calm, and when they do leave, it's with an easy, relaxed gait. They need to bottle whatever it is Castiel has and sell it to veterinarians and zookeepers. Once in a while, Dean will see Castiel and one of the animals in some sort of staring match, and he just knows they're having some sort of silent conversation. Real fucking weird. The ghost is malignant, though not particularly scary. He's strong enough to move things, though, which Dean discovers as he's being thrown through the already mostly broken front window. This is one of those moments when Dean wonders if he'll still be hunting when he's his father's age. He gets to his feet and looks through the window frame just in time to see Castiel swing Sam's old cast-iron pan through the visage of a very angry-looking old man. They gather their remains, which are in a heap on an old ruined couch, and bring them to the pyre, including the cushions. Dean told Castiel the rot from the man's remains might leave him tethered to the cushions, and Castiel got this hilariously disgusted look on his face, like he hasn't probably seen far, far worse in his life. They get the remains on the pyre, and Dean nearly jumps out of his fucking skin when the ghost appears a foot away, screaming in Russian and knocking him on his ass again as Castiel lights the pyre. The ghost turns and rushes towards Castiel, but burns away before he can make contact. Easy as pie, aside from the bruises Dean can already feel on his body. Sure beat on the human, he grumbles as Castiel pulls him to his feet. He said you remind him of his idiot son back in Russia. Yeah, well, fuck you too, pal, Dean says to the burning remains. You know that he can't hear. Shut up, Cass. And don't spend your time looking around for something you want that can't be found. When you find out you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. It's hard to be sure how the old man found this place or even how he died, but there are plenty of signs that he'd been squatting in the house for some time prior to his death and subsequent time as a ghost. Beer bottles, food packaging, filthy clothes, a few suspect syringes, a bedroll, an old ripped tent left in a heap on the porch. No wallet or ID in sight. Whatever this guy's story was, it wasn't a very happy one. As a hunter, Dean's pretty used to messy corpses and never quite getting the full story, but still, it's sad. Hopefully no one is or was waiting for this angry Russian hiker with no name. They burn what they can. The rest goes into trash bags to be dealt with later. There's a lot of work to do in this place. Dust and dead bugs on every possible surface. Old furniture that's too rotted to salvage. Broken glass, termite damage, old cigarette butts the Russians seem to leave in every nook and cranny. It has good bones, at least, Dean says, surveying the living room with a despondent Castiel. I really liked that couch. Found it on a street corner in some suburbs near Portland. I flew it all the way here. 
Dean's never actually seen Castiel fly yet, but he can imagine that looked fucking ridiculous. He'll probably see him fly sometime soon. There's no other way to get new furniture up here. Jesus, this is going to be so much work. It's going to be worth it. It's nearly three weeks before Castiel gets what he needs to make the water and electricity function. After four long, patient explanations from Castiel about how it works, Dean gave up trying to understand the specifics. There's definitely spell work involved, but also plain old science and construction. Sam's going to lose his mind when they eventually have family up to visit. The final ingredient is a battery, as Castiel calls it, but really it's a mason jar with angelic grace inside. That had been upsetting. Castiel had produced a blade Dean had never seen before, silvery-looking, ridiculously shiny, and then made a cut on his own fucking neck so that grace could flow from Castiel into the jar. It felt wrong, seeing that beautiful light leech out of him like that. Castiel had assured Dean that it was a mere fraction of his grace and that it would recharge over time, but still distressing. It reminded Dean of what it felt like to see Sam with a bleeding head wound back when he still hunted. Dean had expected Castiel to hook the jar up to wires, pipes, something technical, but all he did was bury it a few feet underground behind the house and, bam, electricity, running water, a ridiculously long, hot shower within an hour. They're still sleeping in the tent because the house isn't close to clean and still smells like old death. But at least Dean can bathe without splashing himself with ice-cold stream water. There's no reception out here, no TV or internet, no cell signal. If Dean wants to make a call or check his messages, he has to go all the way back to the highway, which takes nearly two hours. It stresses him out, not being able to check on Sam and the girls, but Ash is pretty sure he'll be able to get a hold of a satellite phone for Dean by the end of the month. Meanwhile, there's still so much to do. They've got the old furniture piled up behind the house to deal with later. They have a decent amount of cleaning supplies, but they're in serious need of lumber. A few load-bearing beams, the porch, and Castiel wants to make their bed himself. For the bed, Castiel plans to just hack down some trees in the forest. But for the rest, they're going to have to hit up a Home Depot or a lumber yard or something. That means walking five miles to where the Impala sits by the highway, cloaked by Enochian magic. There's an arrangement Dean doesn't love. Bringing Baby up to the house just isn't possible. So instead, she's miles away, unattended and tucked into subspace or an extra dimension or whatever. The cloaking can only be removed by Castiel, but they're attached at the hip anyway, so that part doesn't matter. But now, Dean goes days without seeing his car, and he, well, he misses her a little. But even without the downsides, it's worth it. It's a strange, imperfect setup they've got going so far, but for the most part, it's pretty awesome. So just try and relax. Yeah, cool it. Fall apart. In my backyard. Because let me tell you something, little Bridget. If you act like that bee acts, uh-uh, you're working too hard. Cass. Cass, stop. Castiel's body halts instantly, and two distraught, beautiful eyes stare down at Dean. What? What is it? Are you all right? Dean lets his head fall back onto the lawn they've been cultivating in front of the house. 
The grass is fresh and vibrant, even though it's December. Dean breathes in deep, the sense of sweat, grass, and coconut oil filling his head for a moment, distracting him. Dean. They're watching us, Cass, Dean finally says. He moves his right hand away from where it's clutching Castiel's left wing so that he can point at the raccoons just a few feet away. They're raccoons, Dean. That doesn't creep you the fuck out? A bunch of pervert raccoons watching us fuck? Again, they're raccoons. They're not passing judgment or having salacious thoughts. Castiel starts to pull away from where he's buried inside Dean, but Dean's legs around his waist stop him. Then why are they staring at us? Because they always do. Okay, that's true. Still, fucking out in the open like animals had seemed so much hotter before there were actual animals watching. Castiel bends down to kiss at Dean's neck. It's cold as fuck out, but Dean's warm all over. I thought you wanted to shed some inhibitions with this act, beloved. Do they know what we're doing? They don't view copulation the way a human does, Dean. To them, this is no different than watching us pulling weeds or drinking a beer. I'd still enjoy it more if they weren't here, Dean says, sighing as a deer emerges from the forest and starts walking closer, sniffing curiously at a nearby tree. Dean understands that. Most of the trees in the forest are dull and dormant for the approaching winter, but the ones surrounding the house are much more alive. Castiel chuckles, rocking against Dean, even though he can't possibly get any deeper. His wings flex and fan out before curling forward and surrounding them, blocking Dean's view. Better? Dean sighs with exasperation. On the one hand, no, because he knows the damn things are still out there, but on the other, out of sight, out of mind. He pulls Castiel down into a kiss, sighing with relief as Castiel resumes fucking him. Yeah, better. The End Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at making it up as we go pod at gmail.com. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam. As always, thank you so much for listening. Of my big home. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities, that's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Now when you pick a pawpaw or a prickly pear, and you prick a raw paw, well next time beware. Don't pick the prickly pear by the paw, when you pick a pear try to use the claw. But you don't need to use the claw when you pick a pair of the big pawpaw. Have I given you a clue? The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Oh, man, this is really living. 
So just try and relax. Yeah, cool it. Fall apart in my backyard. Cause let me tell you something, little wretches. If you act like that bee acts, uh-uh, you're working too hard. And don't spend your time looking around for something you want that can't be found. When you find out you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities. That's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Yeah, with just the bare necessities of life. Yeah, man.